Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the GovCon world, this podcast is for you. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition and the Skyway community. I'll explain more about that at the very end of the episode. Today's topic is actually a redo of one of our earliest, earliest episodes. We decided this one was worth re-recording to make it sound a little better than we were capable of years and years ago. All right, let's get started. Our topic today is what is a contracting officer? What What is a contracting officer, Kevin? Contracting officers are people that have the authority to spend our tax dollars. And it's right in the FAR, uh, 1.602-1A, contracting officers have the authority to enter into, administer, or terminate contracts and make related determinations and findings. There you go. That authority is limited in some cases, and it's also given to others, like with credit cards, for example. But those tend to be transactional, not contractual, right? So contractual relationships, as defined here in the, in the FAR, are done by contracting officers. We're going to talk about how the FAR gives contracting officers the authority to do these things and sets up responsibilities. It doesn't actually give them the authority. That's a statutory thing, but the FAR defines how it happens and what those responsibilities are. We're going to talk about how you get to be a contracting officer and different types of contracting officers. Before we do that, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Jim Duffy, Roger Jackson, and Mia Suttles from Graytech LLC. Graytech is a professional services firm. They specialize in, in enterprise threat reduction and competitive intelligence. They're headquartered in the Baltimore, Maryland area. And they also are a service-disabled veteran-owned small business. I want to thank Graytech specifically for being an engaged podcast listeners. In fact, they were guests on episode number 119. And they're also active Skyway community members since way back in 2015. It's Skyway community members like the Graytech team that ensure we're able to provide this podcast for free week after week. And if you're not familiar with the Skyway community, listen to the end of the episode to hear more. Thank you, Graytech. All right, back to what is a contracting officer. Let's start with the FAR. FAR 1.602-1 defines the authority of the contracting officer. Subparagraph A lays it all out. It says contracting officers have authority to enter into, administer, or terminate contracts and make related determinations and findings. Contracting officers may bind the government only to the extent of the authority delegated to them. This goes back, like you said, Kevin, to the very beginning. Contracting officers are the ones that obligate taxpayer money and bind the government. Subparagraph B says no contract shall be entered into unless the contracting officer ensures that all requirements of law, executive orders, regulations, and all other applicable applicable procedures, including clearances and approvals, have been met. That's a high bar. <laughs> that, I mean, that is. So contracting officers have the authority to do this as long as they follow every rule ever created. <laughs> yeah, every, every requirement, every executive order, every regulation. And then uh, this one I love, all other applicable procedures. But what's applicable? And <laughs> what procedures have come out? I mean, yeah, it's, it's effectively an impossible standard to meet. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a high bar to really meet. Yeah, I'd say a high bar. I wouldn't say it's effectively impossible. It just takes a lot of people. And that's why there's such a big system around government acquisition. Before the contracting officer signs a contract, they have to ensure that all of these things are met. And that's more than a single person could ever know or check. It'd take 10 years to award a contract 
if the contracting officer had to be solely responsible for making sure everything is met. All those regulations, I mean, it's a lot, right? And you can find those if you go to acquisition.gov and click on, you know, browse the FAR, which is a funny thought. And then you click on regulations tab at the top and you'll see all those different supplements. And each agency, not every one of them, but almost everyone has their own supplement to what's already in the FAR. And you're just talking about the regulations, which are right in the middle of that list. Requirements of the law, executive order, regulations, and all other applicable procedures. Applicable procedures. I always stumble on that word. The, the clearances and approvals that they have to meet are, are local. Those are, are local policies and procedures that make sure that other people have reviewed to, to ensure that, that they have followed all of the requirements of law and executive orders and regulations. What we're saying is it's a lot of work. FAR 1.602-2 describes the responsibilities of the contracting officer. It says that contracting officers are responsible for ensuring performance of all necessary actions for effective contracting. Yes. As in, you know, meet the mission, make sure it actually does what it's supposed to do. Ensuring compliance with the terms of the contract. Which is meeting the actual details of the contract. What does the contract say we're supposed to do? That gets us to the shall statement. It says contracting officers shall, A, ensure that the requirements of 1.602-1B have been met. That's the make sure that all the requirements of law, executive orders, regs, all that. And that sufficient funds are available for obligation. Yeah, and and that's a big one because you you can't award a contract without funds. And as a contracting officer, I was always making sure I had that funding document. And and it had enough money on it (laughs) to match what I was signing the contract That's the start of it all. Contracting officers also shall ensure that contractors receive impartial, fair, and equitable treatment. That's a big one. Wow. Yeah, that's easy to do, right? <laughs> that's interpretation of impartial, fair, and equitable is, is challenging. I mean, the, the losers in a contract don't always feel like it was fair, <laughs> hence the protest. This is where our government is trying to make sure that everyone has an equal opportunity to win contracts, to do government work. This is where... It takes a little bit away from the efficiency because we have to be impartial, fair, and equitable. But we as a country have decided that that is the best thing to do for the good of our country and economy. Contracting officers also shall request and consider the advice of specialists in audit, law, engineering, information security, transportation, and other fields as appropriate. This goes back to the idea of this is a team. There's a lot of stuff that contracting officers are responsible for that they're not an expert in. To ensure that all the requirements of everything, the impossible standard you talked about, to ensure that all those requirements are met, it may take a lot of help. Lastly, the FAR says contracting officers shall designate and authorize in writing and in accordance with agency procedures a contracting officer's representative, a COR or COTR, contracting officer's representative, contracting officer's technical representative, who actually manages the contract for from from a technical perspective they're they're sort of the government's program manager for the contract to make sure the work is accomplished per the contract we have a separate episode uh, about the contracting officer's representative and that's episode 37 all right so we're talking about what contracting officers are responsible for ensuring performance and compliance that's the start of it and that's where that shall list came from Contracting officers are also responsible for safeguarding the interests of the United States in its contractual relationships. Whew. 
that's another, <laughs> no pressure there. That's another one of those phrases that's difficult to pin down to one idea. Yeah, that's a big idea right there. In order to perform these responsibilities. Here's the part I like. It actually says this. Contracting officers should be allowed wide latitude to exercise business judgment. In other words, we're switching from reading the book to the thinking part of the job. And I think we've said that phrase more than just about any other on the podcast over the years. Government acquisition, and in particular, the contracting officer's job, is a thinking job. Let's dig into that wide latitude, Kevin. In order to perform these responsibilities, contracting officers should be allowed wide latitude to exercise business judgment. How does that play out? Well, in some cases, the contracting officer is given limited authority. Uh, And for example, I worked at one agency where doing a $3 million modification on a, I don't know, $500 million contract required six people to look at it. So they, they, they took wide latitude, was pretty limited with that agency. In a different agency, I was awarding an $8 million contract that just myself and a lawyer looked at. So that wide latitude is going to vary by agency, by contract type, by situation, by experience. And by the way, those are totally different type. One was cost type, one was firm fixed price, one was an IDIQ, one was not. There's lots of variables to this. But IDIQ stands for indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity. It's, you know, it's, there are variables to it. The latitude comes in when the contracting officer is deciding how to structure each one of those contracts. And then the oversight may change depending on the agency. You're talking specifically about the part of the FAR that says contracting officers may bind the government only to the extent of the authority delegated to them. So the amount of latitude they have to exercise their business judgment is sometimes limited by the amount of authority of things they can do without the mother may eyes involved. But business judgment goes far beyond just awarding a contract after it's reviewed. That's really what makes this so interesting. If you compare the the 602-1, which says do all these regulations and don't screw them up, and then 602-2 says use your judgment. There's a lot of space between those two. There are a lot of variables. Uh, you know, the FAR kind of feels like a choose-your-own-adventure novel because there's so many different paths you can take within the regulations and applicable procedures, et cetera. But you're using business judgment to decide which one of these, which one of these paths is the right one for this situation, for my agency, for this industry, et cetera. And then you follow that path down through all the rules and regulations that you have to be compliant with in order to award the contract. So every path is its own adventure. There you go. And the contracting officer has the authority to choose the path. That's, that's the part that they bring to the table. All right, that's the contracting officer's authority and role and, and latitude and why it's a thinking job. Which leads us to how do you become a contracting officer? They don't just let anyone use their brains. <laughs> they don't just let anyone do the thinking. <laughs> FAR 1.603-1 says that agency heads or their designees may select, appoint, and terminate contracting officer appointments. Selections and appointments shall be consistent with OFPP, Office of Federal Procurement Policy, standards. And those standards lay out the training, education, and experience required or expected in order to be given the authority to spend taxpayer money. In our government careers, Kevin, in in the DOD, the requirements to be a contracting officer were kind of spelled out by DOEA, which is the Defense Acquisition Workforce Improvement Act. Is that right? Yes. Yep. 
Defense Acquisition Workforce Improvement Act. Yes, this is like DOD's 1990 rule set that is still applicable. If you're not DOD, other agencies have their own guidelines on what training, education, and experience is needed. But there is a baseline. So agency heads or designees are the ones who decide who gets a contracting officer warrant. And the FAR specifies 1.603-3A that contracting officers shall receive from that authority a certificate of appointment with clear instructions in writing regarding the limits of their authority and also that those limits should be readily available to the public and agency personnel. So you know exactly what this contracting officer is allowed to do. Which is why you see this certificate of appointment, which is an SF-1402, sometimes hanging up on the wall in their cubicle, because that's where it says what their authority is. Yeah, I still have mine somewhere. I don't think it's... it's so do I. It's not hanging <laughs> on the wall of my closet, but no, I have, it's I, not, I have but my I, yeah, old warrant somewhere here. It's not It's not worth anything anymore, but but it's a nice memento. And, and I, I, did, I did get an official letter terminating it when I left. <laughs> <laughs> so they did close the loop on that. Exactly. In case anybody was yep. curious. So that's the official FAR part of how you become a CO. You're you're designated by an agency head. But again, they don't just say, hey, you look like a nice person. I'm going to give you a warrant. <laughs> There's different processes for determining who is is worthy of a warrant. And where, where we came from, Kevin, in the Air Force, you had to go through a warrant board, which was sort of like the Inquisition, where you went through a year-long training program to prepare for this board. And then you sat down in front of a semicircle of grizzled old contracting veterans who lobbed questions at you trying to understand not just whether you had an understanding of the regs and where to find what you needed in the regs, but trying to see if you have the kind of business judgment that's required to do the job. And I've spoken to several of our contracting officer podcast listeners who are government folks. And yeah, the, the boards are still how most people get their warrant. And it is common to have all kinds of random scenarios thrown at you because again, they want to see how are you going to handle this unique puzzle. And they want to make sure you can do this because they're giving you a warrant to do some things with either limited oversight, in some cases with no oversight, depending on on the, the level of the warrant. Yeah, not, a, not every agency has a, a full warrant board. They all do it differently. I know when I talked to Mike Darios, who was the procurement executive for the United States Coast Guard, they have a full warrant board process just like we went through. Next topic, Kevin. There are different types of contracting officers. Why are some contracting officers different than others? We mentioned the idea of uh, having a limited versus unlimited warrant. Sometimes you your warrant is limited to being able to award up to $3 million or some number, or it might be only to award orders against the uh, existing contract, like an IDIQ, or maybe only to modify contracts. In different agencies, you're going to be around people who have different experience. Uh, so if you work for a large agency that has hundreds of contracts people, with lots of levels of experience and you know dozens of other contracting officers, or you may work in a small agency that has very few of them and not as much experience and doesn't buy as broad a swath of things. In other words, they may only buy commercial items under FAR 13.5. Whereas if you work for a large agency, they buy everything under award fee to cost type, et cetera. Right. We are all a product of our experiences. So if you're on the industry side and you're talking to a contracting officer, like you said, that's only really ever bought commercial items, they may not understand what you're saying if you're talking about a FAR Part 15 competition for a major weapon system. 
another factor in this is, is the, the agency procedures. Uh, larger agencies that spend more money tend to have more regulations, yeah. whereas smaller agencies might not. You'll remember that the FAR defines a contracting officer as someone that has the authority to award, administer, and terminate contracts. There's actually three different titles that you may hear for contracting officers. A PCO, a procurement or procuring contracting officer. Those are contracting officers who conduct source selections. They, they sign the contract and award it. There's also a designation called an administrative contracting officer, ACO. ACOs administer contracts after they're awarded. Not all the time. Sometimes the procuring contracting officer, the PCO, retains the authority to administer the contract. But for major contracts, for really big contracts, like when I used to work aircraft contracts, I was the PCO. I would do a source selection, sign a contract, then hand it off to an administrative contracting officer who sat at the aircraft manufacturer's plant and was there working the day-to-day details of the contracts, making sure the contractor got paid, modifying the contract as necessary, all those good things. Then there's termination. If things go poorly... There's a whole far part for that. Far part 49, terminations. If, if things go that poorly that you're looking at that far part of the FAR, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you might meet a terminating or terminations contracting officer, a TCO. So PCO, ACO, TCO. TCOs are very rare, which is a good thing. There's not a lot of people out there that are specifically to terminate contracts. A TCO is someone that has this very specialized skill set and is given the authority to terminate contracts. A TCO is someone we should not need, right? The government makes every effort to, to, to not terminate contractors for default. We're moving right along here. We always talk about the acquisition time zones and the execution time zones. When does the topic that we're talking about fit into the acquisition process? Well, contracting officers are across the entire spectrum from the very beginning of the acquisition time zones to the very end of the execution time zones, from coming up with a requirement to closing out contracts in the end. If you're not familiar with the acquisition and execution time zones, the acquisition time zones are in episode three and the execution time zones, we cover those in episode 84. All right, Kevin, let's wrap this up by talking specifically about why the government cares about the contracting officer's roles and responsibilities and why industry cares. On the government side, be aware that the seller may not realize the, the role of the contracting officer in context of, of what they are selling. Uh, we talk about the three deciders in episode 118. The three deciders, there's an economic decider, person has the money, there's the customer, the person that needs whatever the contract is going to result in, and there's a contracting officer. The three of them work in tandem. However, the contractor may see all the government folks as the same, especially if it's a small business, they don't have a whole lot of experience. They may not realize what the contracting officer is solely responsible for versus what the economic decider or the customer or the user or the finance person, all those other people may be involved with. Government folks care about contracting officers because the authority to bind the government and obligate funding to the contracts lies only with contracting officers. And there's lots of pain and agony and gnashing of teeth if you don't understand this and follow the rules. We have other episodes about what happens if you take direction from a government person that does not have the authority to give you that direction. But this means the contracting officers have a lot of responsibility. If you're not willing to take responsibility for the decisions you make, this isn't the job for you. 
Yeah, b- being a contracting officer means that you you get to make the decision, but you gotta own it and document it and sign <laughs> your it. name yeah. to it. And your name is on there forever. Forever. Yep. What industry folks care about the roles and responsibilities of contracting officers? The contracting officers are they're sometimes leery of interacting with industry because of that one point six zero two with all these rules. There's lots of opportunity for me to screw something up, right? But remember that on the industry side, remember the CO is not the customer. The customer is the customer, the person that has the need. The contracting officer is the conduit to the customer. They decide how the item or service is going to be bought. That's the contracting officer's role. They're not going to decide what's going to be bought or when or who will pay for it. And that's what the economic decider and the customer are there for. But the contracting officer is the one who decides how the acquisition will happen. Understanding what a contracting officer can and can't do and what keeps them from from shooting from the hip, what makes contracting officers say, "Eh, it depends every time you ask them a question. Understanding that makes for better relationships because you have the context to to understand what the rules and regs are like that they're working from and what latitude they actually have. The better you understand that, the easier it'll be to work with your government counterparts. Yeah, understanding where that wide latitude for business judgment ends... (laughs) or starts for that matter, is is going to be very helpful. And don't forget, industry folks, contractual direction can only come from a contracting officer. If you do work based on anyone else's direction, it's likely going to be a problem for you. It leads to things like ratifications and unauthorized commitments and, yes, other rabbit trails. All right, I'll summarize this real quick. Contracting officers sign contracts and obligate the taxpayer dollars and are the only people, generally, who have authority direct to direct contractors. And they're to do that with the wide latitude that they are given in their business judgment. Contracting officers are appointed based on the training and experience that each agency has decided is needed to become a warranted contracting officer. And the job is hard because they have to thread that needle between the book answers in the FAR what the regs say, and using that business judgment. It's a thinking job. We're back to that, right? It's difficult to master. The Skyway team, we have, we have over a dozen contracting officers. and None of us have the same background. Different team members help different customers with that customer's unique puzzle. Sometimes a customer may talk to three different people on the Skyway team, three different contracting officers for three different situations because the, the nuance of our background is what helps them solve their unique puzzle. And that's why it takes many, many years to grow a contracting officer. It's not something that is easy for someone to step into the job and master overnight. I think we've said before, it's it's impossible to know or see every situation because the government buys literally everything you can think of somewhere. And understanding how best to do that for every single thing out there, that's a huge task. Last thing we should say, Kevin, Contracting officer is often abbreviated with the term CO. In some agencies, they use KO because CO is already taken. That's That stands for commanding officer, not contracting officer. So wherever there's a commanding officer, you'll hear people say KO. Although I think there's some move to standardize that to CO to avoid confusion. Which, which will then confuse all the people that use these for commanding right, officer. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's it for today, Kevin. I'll talk to you later. All right, I'll see you, Paul. Okay, then. 
Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoy our podcast, we invite you to check out the Skyway community at skywaymember.com. The Skyway community is the essential resource for anyone at any stage of starting, running, or growing a business in the GovCon world. We speak GovCon. Members get access to Skyway's team of contracting officers to help you learn, win, and grow in the GovCon world. To learn more, give us a call at 877-884-5280 or check us out at skywaymember.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Ensure that requirements of six one. Ensure that they're ensuring that ensuring that. Wow, that's a struggle.